0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Excel, Colorado's largest utility, says it messed up when that cold snap hit last year and natural gas prices skyrocketed. The company says it ought to have warned people.
1: We should be being more proactive and notifying our customers around energy costs.
0: A settlement agreement will ensure they follow through. Today, an Excel Colorado executive takes our questions and yours about renewables, climate change, the future of a Pueblo power plant, and wildfire prevention.
1: It costs us about $15 million to bury one mile of transmission line.
0: Later, their season hasn't started yet, but the Denver Broncos are in the midst of one of the most crucial contests in their history, finding the team's next owner.
1: Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Excel Energy isn't just the largest power company in Colorado, electricity and gas. It's also at the center of the state's efforts to combat climate change. Excel's rate hikes, meanwhile, have added to the squeeze families feel across the state. To answer our questions and yours, Holly Velasquez Horvath, came to our studio, regional vice president for the utility. A note that we recorded the conversation before the spring storm that felled trees over the weekend, knocking out power across Metro Denver. We will talk about burying power lines, though. Holly, thank you for being with us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: An Excel spokesperson says customers should expect big rate increases this year, about $16 a month for the average household. There are all sorts of reasons this is the case. Let's talk about one of the biggest, which is natural gas. What's going on there?
1: Yes. So we provide natural gas fuel to our customers to use, and we pass it. We buy it from suppliers, and we pass that natural gas to our customers directly. We don't make any money on it. But what that is is sensitive to the market. And as we all know, the market for natural gas, because of the pandemic, supply chain, everything that's going on around the world, the cost of natural gas is higher.
0: So you're saying those are forces beyond Excel's control?
1: Absolutely.
0: Excel makes $0 on natural gas. You are merely the pass-through?
1: On the fuel cost, correct. So we buy it on the market, and we directly pass it to our customers.
0: At the same rate you buy it? Correct. Okay. Also, last year, a cold snap hit the U.S. Most people know that it caused severe power outages in Texas. But in Colorado, the main impact was a massive surge in fuel prices. A judge just decided that Excel can recover what it paid for natural gas from customers, which means an 11% increase in average residential gas bills. Why is that price tag so darn high?
1: It's exactly for what the circumstances were at the moment that we were buying the gas. So if you think about the time that it was happening, it was during COVID. It was a three-day holiday weekend. It was President's Day weekend. It was really cold. And it wasn't just cold in Colorado. It was cold in Texas. It was cold all over the United States.
0: Meaning demand was intense.
1: Demand was intense and supply was low. And so the gas prices for that three-day weekend were extremely high. And we were making a hedge that our customers were going to continue to use their natural gas. Restaurants that were open during COVID, businesses, all of those circumstances that you think about in making sure that we're providing reliable energy. And so we bought the gas at the price. Customers used gas for those three days. And that is the cost that we're asking to recover.
0: But didn't they use that gas not knowing that it would be exorbitantly expensive? And let me just come up with a comparison. When I use a ride service, Lyft or Uber tell me it's surge pricing. You might want to take a ride an hour from now. There was no such message from Excel.
1: That is If you read through the ALJ decision, that is, and also some of the. ALJ is an administrative law judge. Administrative law judge, yes. That is one of the biggest criticisms was that we did not call for conservation beforehand. We did not give awareness to our customers. And at the time, I think it was an anomaly. It was a circumstance where we had never dealt with it before. Was it perfect? No. Did we have lessons learned? Absolutely. We actually now have a trigger. At a certain point of gas prices, we call immediately for conservation for our customers.
0: And how would that message be received? I'd get, what, an email? I'd get a text message?
1: You would get an email. We intend to do a press release, so hopefully our media outlets will pick it up. And it will call for that conservation and give all of our customers a heads up that if we do hit a price mark, on natural gas, we would ask for you all to our customers to think about conservation so that they can save on their utility bill.
0: So what I hear you saying, Holly, uh, and I appreciate this, is a bit of a mea culpa. Excel had not dealt with something quite like this and that you're going to change how you operate going forward. And yet the cost of that still falls on the ratepayers. Is that fair? The governor is excoriating this decision, by the way, saying that it's not.
1: Yes disappointed slightly in the governor's response in uh, wanting us to not recover that fuel cost as we were going through the settlement agreement. So we went through negotiations with interveners that included the consumer advocate organization. It included uh, the Colorado Energy Office and several other stakeholders. And we negotiated a settlement. The administrative law judge ruling is that settlement. And so we were in agreement that we were going to recover some of the cost, not all of the cost. Not all of the cost. Not all of the cost.
0: So you think this is a compromise. Uh, I just want to say last year, Excel made $660 million for its shareholders in Colorado. Compensation for your CEO is north of $12 million. I guess I hear you saying Excel is taking it in the shorts to some extent here.
1: We are a little bit. And it's in recognition. We should be being more proactive and notifying our customers around energy costs. I think this is going to become more of a regular practice for us because not only... Do we have the natural gas price fluctuations? But as we're transitioning to this clean energy future, we're also going to have to deal with balancing an electric grid that's got more renewable energy on the system than dispatchable energy sources that happen 24-7. And so in a hot summer day, when we may see or exceed what we are actually generating on the system, we may end up having to ask our customers to consider conserving.
0: And is that communication mandated now by this settlement, or are you doing this voluntarily?
1: The trigger for the natural gas has been requested through the settlement agreement. Okay. The actual proactive around the electricity piece during the summertime is not.
0: Well, I'm glad you talked about summertime because there are fears, and we heard this from many of our listeners, that there could be blackouts. Given the extreme weather we are seeing, the extreme dryness and the extreme heat, how likely is that, do you think?
1: At this time, I feel pretty confident that we will be able to deliver the reliable electricity that our customers are asking for through this summer. But I do believe that this is a very big topic of conversation and a policy decision that we all as Coloradans have to start making. Because when you're moving towards this renewable energy transition and you've got these intermittent resources on the system and they're not reliable, they're not 100 percent reliable. How do we start to think about changing customer use? How do we start to think about generation to overcompensate for customers' use?
0: I mean, the natural question here is storage, right? So I understand you can fire up a a coal or a gas plant whenever you need it, and solar and wind uh, occur when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing. But, you know, there is all sorts of battery technology that Excel is investing in and is actually requested of regulators so that it'd be able to make those investments. And isn't there also sharing with other grids where the sun is shining and the wind is blowing? I'm trying to judge to what degree you see renewables as, I don't know, a, a, a deficit
1: it's not a deficit, it's just a very different way in how we deliver energy to our customers and how our customers are thinking about use. So currently the, a battery, for example, is four hours long. So we have storage capacity for just four hours. Now, four hours is great, but when you're in a storm, or you're in a, you know, a bomb cyclone, for example, that happened a few years ago, four hours is nothing. We have to think about what is two days, what is three days look like? So that's one piece. And you mentioned grid sharing, which is something that Colorado currently doesn't have. So we sit current. Oh, is that right? That is correct. We, we are on an island and we are not fully connected to the west or the east. And so we are actually looking at what could that look like? What, do, what transmission do we need to build to start connecting to the west and the east so that we can start sharing our wind And potentially, Arizona and California can share their sun.
0: Well, speaking of what the future brings, when it comes to electricity, we often hear that renewables have become cheaper than fossil fuels. And so, Ian Jacobs of Denver wants to know what is your plan to make prices 10 years from now cheaper than prices today? Or should people expect to pay more?
1: That's a loaded question. As we integrate more to renewable energy, we won't be dependent on the price shifting and sensitivities of natural gas. So is there an opportunity to save on fuel costs for our customers? Absolutely. But in addition to that, we also have a responsibility to deliver and build the transmission and the generation of renewables to meet what our customers and our regulators have asked us to do, which is go to 80% carbon-free by 2030.
0: So I hear you saying that there are savings coming because of the nature of the energy, but there may be, a counter to that, investments in the new infrastructure.
1: Correct. Uh-huh.
0: And, and so you can't answer about what prices will do in 10 years. Is it <laughs> Excel's hope that the benefit, uh, once investment has been made in renewables, pays off for customers?
1: Absolutely. In addition to that, when we start to think about joining an energy market, that also has been proven to uh, save customers money as well. Um, we've also committed through legislation that we worked with the legislature and the governor on that we would not exceed inflation more than 2%. So as we're building this capital and investing it into the Eastern Plains in Colorado to meet that 80% carbon-free target, we have also committed to not exceed by that 2% cost cap.
0: Compared to the rest of the country, where, where, by the way, are bills for natural gas and electricity?
1: XL Energy is, the bills for our customers here in Colorado are 35 4% 4% below the national average. And we have always been prideful in that. But I also feel empathy and as an Excel customer of myself that I'm not sure if that matters, especially when you live in Colorado and you know what your utility bill has been for the last several years and what those price sensitivities are right now.
0: So much of this discussion has focused on the the, the bills that people get. Uh, But I also want to acknowledge in this conversation that there is a tremendous cost as well to climate change and to not making these sorts of investments. Uh, And so we don't ask these questions in a vacuum. Should Excel be as profitable as it is?
1: I believe that we as a company are delivering on what our customers and our stakeholders are asking us to do, which is lead the clean energy transition make sure that we're doing everything to empower our customers to have choice, and also think about prudency in how we are charging our customers for that.
0: Let's be clear about um, the concern here. So, Excel Energy makes money on capital investments, and it has proposed $8 billion in new wind, solar, transmission systems. There are consumer advocates, many of them, who worry that Excel has gold-plated these proposals— And is building more than is necessary to ensure the biggest possible return for shareholders. Do you think that particular proposal to lock in profits, I suppose, um, leads to higher bills for customers?
1: Is it gold plated? No. Is it what our customers are asking for and what we deliver and what we've committed to? Absolutely.
0: What I hear you saying uh, in several different ways is if you're concerned about the cost of your electricity uh, with Excel, don't blame Excel. Blame state regulators and blame yourself as customers for what you're asking for.
1: Not blame, because not only are our regulators as well as our legislators and our governor, but our communities and our customers have been asking for us to deliver clean energy on our system.
0: And shareholders will profit.
1: Profit on the benefit of in helping us invest into that infrastructure. Yes, again, the value of this in being a leader in transitioning to clean energy helping our customers solve for climate change, which is a huge concern, there is a value to that. And you and think that
0: there, there should be money as a reward for that?
1: A minimal amount of return. It, you know, Right now, we are capped at a return on our investment, which is around 9%. We don't receive 9% on our ROE. We actually receive roughly around 8%.
0: The Independence Institute, which is a libertarian advocacy group, is floating a ballot initiative to force your company to return some of its profits to customers. Uh, Do you have any words about that measure?
1: I don't think that it is fair and representative to all of the work that we are doing in delivering what our customers are asking in Colorado.
0: It would reduce your profits.
1: It could risk reducing our profits, but in addition to that, it could also implicate us from not being able to get the investments that we need financially to build all of the renewable energy and the transmission to deliver what our customers are asking and meeting those targets the 80% carbon free target by 2030.
0: Excel Energy is taking our questions and yours on the show today utility has one and a half million electric customers in Colorado, one and a half million gas customers as well. Our guest is Regional Vice President Holly Velasquez Horvath. Still to come, was it a mistake to build a coal-fired power plant in Pueblo that'll close almost 40 years early? And why not bury power lines to prevent wildfires and the sorts of things we saw with that spring storm over the weekend? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. 2012 was a year of destructive wildfires in Colorado and plans were made to make future fires less damaging. Very little of that has been accomplished. Fast forward to this year, a new board was asked to create regulations to protect homes from wildfires. It's also failed.
1: It doesn't seem right. There's so much weight on residents to come up with all the solutions.
0: Colorado knows how to reduce the destruction of wildfires, but why hasn't anything been done yet? Read the story and see pictures at CPR.org. Today we're talking climate change, renewables, wildfires, and rate increases with an executive from Excel Energy, Colorado's largest utility. Let's get back to my conversation with Regional Vice President Holly Velasquez Horvath. We spoke before this past weekend spring snowstorm. Excel has said its power lines did not start the Marshall Fire in Boulder County. Uh, But people are obviously worried about the next wildfire. Of course, in California, a utility is shelling out tens of millions of dollars because its aging infrastructure ignited two destructive wildfires. William Paul Colgan of Denver asks, what steps is Excel taking to improve their infrastructure to reduce Fire risks.
1: We are taking several steps. In fact, in 2019, we worked with the Public Utilities Commission and received approval on a wildfire mitigation plan. It upgrades aging infrastructure, it replaces equipment on our transmission lines that would have risk to causing wildfires. It also targets wildfire zones, and we work with communities integrating into their wildfire mitigation plans.
0: What about burying power lines? There are several listeners who've wondered if that's an approach Excel will take.
1: For transmission lines, currently right now, it costs us about $15 million to bury one mile of transmission line. So when you consider all the transmission lines all across Colorado, can we do it better? Can we think about wildfire mitigation in a different way? that costs less, costs less for our customers. And so by replacing the aging infrastructure and thinking about what type of wildfire mitigation we can do on the existing infrastructure that is within these wildfire zones, I believe that we're being very proactive in thinking about what we can do to not start wildfires.
0: does Excel go out and trim trees?
1: We do vegetation management, which is trimming trees and brush that are surrounded around maybe those transmission lines or distribution lines. We are replacing some of the equipment that could potentially cause sparking during high wind events. And we are also thinking about fire mitigation, equipment, poles, wires.
0: I'd like to talk about Comanche 3 in Pueblo. So this is the coal-fired power plant that your company built in 2010 for $1.3 billion. Uh, It's not only one of the state's largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions, but it's been plagued by breakdowns. Excel has told state regulators it's now out of service indefinitely. I mean, this isn't even a 12-year-old plant. Why?
1: So Unit 3 at Comanche, it has been a significant topic of conversation both for the fact that the unit is down, but also as we've been negotiating our clean energy plan and the decision around the year of retirement of that unit. When you think about when that unit was built, we were at a very different time, 12 years ago, not necessarily knowing a lot about renewable energy, the cost of it, how it balances on a system for reliability purposes, all those things. So yes, it was built and it provides a significant amount of reliable energy for our customers today. Is it well, out? It doesn't. It currently today, especially through June, July and August, it, it will absolutely provide what we need on the electric system. Now, is it out today? Yes. It was due to a transmission issue, which is not attached to the plant. So we had a human error on the transmission side that caused for the unit to go down. Supply chain issues have been a little bit of a concern. We are actually on track to deliver that unit to be back online in the middle of June in anticipation for the hot summer.
0: Okay, you, you hinted at this. The company has reached a settlement to close the plant by 2031, 39 years earlier than originally planned. Was that plant a mistake?
1: No, I do not believe it was. Like I said, it, back in 2010... I mean, when you talk was, about
0: 2010 like it was the dark ages. You had a governor at that point, it, I think Bill Ritter was in office, who was talking about green energy, you know, every day.
1: That's correct. But in think about in 2007, when that was the first time that we had actually, as Coloradans, thought about renewable energy, that was That's three years. when voters years. passed
0: a renewable energy standard.
1: Exactly. And that was three years before that. So even three years before that is when we negotiated with our regulators and our stakeholders about building Comanche, the plant down in Pueblo. Now, do we have a responsibility to think about how we transition that unit offline and deliver and meet those clean energy targets? Absolutely. Which is why we came to the settlement agreement with all kinds of intervening parties, including environmentalists, Pueblo County, who has a significant stake in that unit retiring from a financial perspective. Because
0: it generates property taxes for Pueblo. It's Uh, also an employer. In fact, let me just say, this is what your boss, current Excel Energy Colorado President Alice Jackson, told regulators this past Tuesday.
1: This is much more than about just money. This is about the lives of the employees at the facilities. It's about the communities and the residual impacts that they feel um, in making sure that they have a pathway and clarity on what that's going to look like.
0: So what is Excel's plan to help Pueblo and Comanche employees?
1: So when we think about retiring these types of plans, we are very proactive in going into the communities and actually just listening to what they are concerned about. In Pueblo, property tax revenue and jobs, significant portion. So through this settlement agreement with the Clean Energy Plan, we're not only committing for a short-term payment for replacing that tax revenue. In addition to that, we've committed to also think about replacement generation, potentially new technologies that is not wind and solar, but carbon-free innovative technologies that is dispatchable energy, which is 24-7 access at any time.
0: So the idea here is not converting Comanche into natural gas, for instance? No, it what, is it, not. what is this mysterious technology of which you speak? <laughs> it could be
1: all kinds of different things. We actually are thinking about what does post-2030 look like and what are those innovative technologies?
0: Nuclear is off the table so far as I understand.
1: Modular nuclear could be an option. Okay. It is not the traditional nuclear plant, but it's small modular. Hydro? Hydro is an option, but we do not have the water or the river to produce that type of energy in Pueblo. Okay. Uh, In addition to that, we are thinking about molten salt storage unit, which is something that we're considering for the Route County-Craig area because of our retirement of Hayden. Uh, Carbon capture technologies. There are so many opportunities, I think, post-2030 to think about what those are.
0: What I hear you saying is that the future of Comanche... Uh, is actually unclear because the technology may not yet fully exist.
1: Fully exist at the amount at At which we need, right, at scale and also at cost. Hmm.
0: So there will continue to be employment and tax revenue generation there. You just don't know in what form.
1: Potentially, yes. Yep.
0: Is it possible that nothing replaces it?
1: I don't believe so because I know how important this is for Pueblo County and all the other communities that we're working with currently in transitioning.
0: With Comanche 3 closing early, are you still expecting customers to pay for the cost of it? Do those costs continue even past its closure?
1: Yes. In the clean energy plan, we have remaining balance of the cost of unit three. And like you said, it's a new unit, came on in 2010. The life of it is till 2070. So within that lifespan, the plant is not fully depreciated. And so we'll have a balance. And so our responsibility is to think about how we replace generation with renewables, how we build transmission, and how we retire the balance of the cost of that unit.
0: Not to mention whatever new investments you might make.
1: And all of that is a package deal together.
0: So much of what we've talked about so far is the kind of traditional model of power generation. Big plant, transmission many miles away to the homes. And we heard over and over again from our listeners that distributed generation ought to be where Excel looks Next. That is that every rooftop could be generating its own energy through solar, for instance. Uh, But, you know, that that takes Excel out of its traditional, rather paternalistic role. Comment on that for me.
1: Distributed generation is actually not out of the whole diversity of what we anticipate the future of energy looks like. In our clean energy plan currently right now, we are depending on an additional 1,300 megawatts of distributed generation. That is 1,300 megawatts out of currently 6,500 at peak hour megawatts so that it integrates onto our grid and helps us with balancing the system.
0: And are you doing that because you have to, because you want to, because that's what customers are asking for?
1: Primarily because it's important for our customers to continue to have that choice, and that is important for us. And in addition to that, we believe it's a very holistic part of everything that we have to do in the future around energy. This is a significant piece to that.
0: I've heard over and over again that natural gas is a bridge fuel between coal and renewables. Is that how Excel sees it, that natural gas is a bridge fuel? And like, how long do you think it'll be in the portfolio?
1: It is a... Because
0: still, it still contributes to climate change.
1: Absolutely, it does. And we recognize that natural gas on the electric side is a fuel that is 100% reliable. We can turn it on and off, just Though like it's, a coal it's plant. the cost of it is not. The cost of it is currently more than Very what, volatile. Very volatile, exactly. But it's reliable. It's 100% reliable. And right now, our system... As we project it for reliability, we can have 80% renewable energy on the system. So where does that other 20% come from, Mm -hmm. right? And that 20% delivers the 99.9% reliability that we have to have. If we only had renewable energy on the system... We are not reliable. We can't deliver 100% of the time the energy that our customers are asking for.
0: So 10 years of natural gas, 20 years, what are the projections?
1: We, in our current clean energy plan, we have asked for transitioning one of our coal plants out in Brush, Colorado from coal to natural gas so that we can continue to deliver that reliable energy over the next 10, 20 years. It's really all honestly going to be dependent on what those technologies look like in the future and how much do they cost and what is that cost sensitivity so that we can continue to close that 20% and make sure that we're still delivering reliable energy to our customers.
0: Holly, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Holly Velasquez-Horvath is a regional vice president at Excel Energy in charge of state affairs and community relations. She took our questions and yours in an interview recorded late last week. Well, two members of our climate team were listening to that conversation. And join us to add a little context, Miguel Otarula and Sam Brash. Welcome to you both.
2: Thanks for having us. Glad to be here.
0: Sam, Holly repeatedly mentioned the clean energy plan. Tell us what that is exactly and how it matters to people's energy bills.
3: Right. So this is basically a massive blueprint for how Excel wants to shift to renewable energy or far more renewable energy in Colorado. It's an $8 billion plan to build 6,800 megawatts of new generation. A lot of that is wind, solar, battery, also, as she mentioned, some natural gas. It would double the amount of renewables now on Excel's system. But it's worth digging in because of what you talked about. Regulated utilities make a profit when they build new capital projects like this. They don't make it on regular maintenance, supplying power to gas and customers. They just recover what they spend doing that.
0: Doesn't that create an incentive to build big projects, you know, sprawling projects, to skimp on maintenance and then send the rest of the money to shareholders?
3: that's definitely the concern here and we've heard that a lot from consumer advocates especially look colorado policymakers are interested in moving to more renewable power but the state has to be really careful here if regulators green light you know, Cadillac green energy projects, things that are more expensive than necessary. It risks sticking customers with higher bills for decades into the future while ensuring profits for Excel shareholders.
0: Let's zoom out for a second. Is this system, this setup a good way to deliver cleaner energy?
3: I think you got to be uh, fair with the system because it's kind of what we're stuck with. Uh, the one alternative you can think about is you know more municipal utilities or even a state-owned utility. But at this point, you know that's probably too expensive or complicated. I think we saw when Boulder tried to municipalize and kick out Excel, they ran into all kinds of struggles doing that. You yep. know, partially because the company put up a pretty big fight. You know, there are some advantages to investor-owned model. It means that the public gets to share the burden of this energy transition with Wall Street banks and other investors, but there is probably also a political risk. If people see their bills going up while Excel's profits keep going up too, you know, the whole transition could come into question. And given the plummeting price of renewables and the fact that you don't need to buy the fuel, the natural gas or the coal, once you have the infrastructure built, it's worth asking, you know, are those rising bills actually necessary?
0: Mm. Because the fuel might become cheaper. Yeah, Yeah.
3: renewables would become cheaper. And then the question is, who gets the money? Is it shareholders or customers?
0: Okay, Miguel, your reporting has zeroed in on that Comanche 3 plant in Pueblo. What can you tell us about the current situation there?
2: Well, as you heard Holly say during her interview, um, they hope that the plant can finally come back, this generator, Comanche 3, back in June. Uh, and that's almost about as much as we know. There really hasn't been much like un- um, declassified information about this. A lot of it has stayed very confidential between the PUC and Excel as they try to figure out what exactly happened. There were a lot of supply chain issues to get these parts for the um Comanche 3 generator, which had gone offline back in January. So almost half a year of it being offline. And it's gone offline for longer in the past, almost all
0: of 2020. Oh, you say the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, those are the regulators here. So uh, indeed, it's very likely that Comanche 3 will go offline uh, in toto by 2031, as we said, 39 years earlier than what the plant was originally built for. Uh, Why is that date so important?
2: Well, basically, whenever Comanche 3 closes, that's really going to pretty much mark the end of coal-generated power here in Colorado. Um, It is the newest plant. You're right. They said that they were going to have a a shelf life for that plant for 2070 and uh, almost 40 years earlier because of all these different negotiations that we've had to try to accelerate um, our transition and Excel's transition into renewable energy. And so that's been a long process, it's still ongoing. It's likely to be settled this summer uh, as they go into what the future of Excel's generation is gonna look like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other very important goals are gonna kick in when that happens. You know, Most importantly, what is our generation gonna look like? What's our renewable generation gonna look like? What happens to Pueblo? Are they going to have replacement jobs? What's gonna replace the property tax revenue? Um, all I mean, Also, of course, what will happen to the emissions? Uh, From the electricity sector and the utility sector here in Colorado and how that impacts Pueblo as well. So lots of uh, questions that are going to be answered once we know when Excel is going to close Comanche.
0: Answered and then covered by our climate team. Thanks to both of you for being with us. Appreciate the perspective.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.
0: Miguel Otaurla and Sam Brash from our climate team wrapping up this conversation with Excel Energy, Colorado's largest utility. And Colorado Matters continues in just a bit with some horse trading, specifically Broncos. I'm Ryan Warner, and you're with CPR News and KRCC.
1: Title IX is not just about money and whose shoes are nicer. Erica Krause is
2: the Colorado PI who helped the nation see Title IX as about much more than sports. And her new memoir, Tell Me Everything, is a riveting look into a landmark sexual assault investigation here in Colorado. It's also our next read for Turn the Page with Colorado Matters. Join the conversation live on stage to kick off Lit Fest in Denver, June 10th. Details and free tickets at CPR.org slash Turn the Page.
0: Don't let the recent snow fool you. It is not football season. Yet the Denver Broncos are involved in a high-stakes contest, the sale of the franchise. Reporter Eben Novi williams is with the sports business site Sportico. Hi, Eben. Hey, how are you doing, Ryan? Thanks for having me. Absolutely doing well. Uh, The Broncos have been on sale officially since February following years of legal disputes after the death of owner Pat Bolin in 2019. The NFL, for its part, expects a sale to be completed around September, so the start of the season. Uh, Early speculation floated names like Amazon's Jeff Bezos, and Robert Smith, the Denver-based businessman and philanthropist. I guess, first off, does it look like things are on schedule?
4: I think things are on schedule for sure, and I think anything, a deal that happens anytime between now and the start of the season, is, is is normal and on time for the NFL. I would not be shocked if this deal happens well before September. I would not be shocked if this happens in late August. But but from everyone that I've talked to, they expect there to be a new owner of the Denver Broncos in place by the start of next season or the start of this season coming up. Sorry, um, and, and that's what everybody seems to be moving towards.
0: Okay. I'm curious how strong the correlation is between ownership and winning, because, I mean, isn't that fundamentally what we're talking about here?
4: Yes, it's a great question. And uh, some owners would tell you it's very strong. Others will tell you it's not that strong. I think it depends on how hands on your ownership group is. If you think about Jerry Jones, for example, in 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 Dallas, he oversees the most valuable sports franchise in the United States. It's not a team that's been all that successful. He's extremely hands-on as an owner, taking a, a large part and a large role into things like player decisions, like draft pick decisions, etc. Oh. And then you have other owners who really want to be hands-off. They, they recognize or think that they maybe don't have the expertise in in, in, in NFL matters and, and understand that, that part of their job is to hire the right people and to empower those people. So it, it very much depends on the owner and also totally depends on the ownership thesis.
0: Gosh. Okay. It just makes me sound like we can't say for sure. And uh, we'll we'll know more <laughs> we sure. when there's an owner. In the last dozen years, I think five NFL teams have sold, but you argue that the Bronco, Broncos rather, are a, a different sort of transaction. Why?
4: I think that's right. If you look at all the other teams that have sold in the past decade, it's the Jaguars, it's the Dolphins, it's the Browns, it's the Bills, the Pan- uh, the, the Panthers. They're all really among the, the bottom 10 franchises in terms of valuation. And, and all of those deals were done in the $1 billion range or, or as high as $2.3 billion for the Panthers. The Broncos are a top 15 NFL team from a valuation standpoint. It is extremely rare for an NFL team to sell. It's one of the reasons why they're extremely valuable. It's just that the opportunities to get into this very expensive club don't come around all that often. And not only is it rare for a team to sell, it is extremely rare for a team of the stature of the Broncos to sell. And by that, I mean one of the more valuable teams in the league. So just a few years ago, the Panthers sold $2.3 billion. It was a record for an NFL team. Uh, I would not be shocked if the Broncos get $4.3 billion. So, so we're looking at maybe almost double... The, the the valuation on the Panthers just a few years ago. So so to me that that's the big difference here is that wow. usually when teams sell they're, they're not particularly valuable uh, relative to the rest of the NFL. Now we're talking about a team that is on the market and is available that is extremely val- valuable relative to the rest of the NFL. Yeah,
0: $4.3 billion. Early on, iconic names locally surfaced as potential buyers. John Elway, Peyton Manning. Of course, that was to the delight of fans. Um, is it a hard and fast requirement, though, that the Broncos take the highest offer?
4: This is a great question, Ryan, and it's one of the things that all of the bidders and all of the bankers and all of the investors are, are asking each other and trying to get clarity from the NFL. The short answer is yes, because this team is not being sold by an individual, but rather being sold by the trust of late owner Pat Bolin. Hmm. The trustees have a, a fiduciary of a financial obligation to maximize the value of the asset for the trust. So theoretically, the trust has to sell to the highest qualified bidder. And I say qualified bidder because that's the way the NFL frames it. And it's actually fairly relevant here because no, if you or I had – uh, $4 billion or $5 billion of cash lying around, yeah. we would not be able to buy the Broncos because the the, the the NFL would sift through our finances and realize that we don't have enough other liquidity. We're not quite rich enough to, 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 to be a regular and, and, and helpful and productive NFL owner, especially if things go sour with the team. So there is a very, very rigorous vetting process by which the NFL decides... Not just that you have enough money, but that you are the type of person they want to join their club. Uh, So so when we say the highest qualified bidder, qualified does a lot of work there because there are certainly people that can afford to buy the Broncos that the the, the NFL does not want for various reasons to be part of the club. So the easy answer is that yes, the, the Broncos have to sell to the highest qualified bidder. But the fact that there is a second step here in which the NFL and all the other 31 owners get to vote on on how valuable and and how much they want you to join also means that there is a little bit of wiggle room here. So it's not like. Someone can plop down $10 billion and buy the Broncos tomorrow. There is at least some kind of of wiggle room in
0: there. Even if they have $4.3 billion on hand, you need to have more than that, actually, which naturally raises the question of former Walmart chairman Rob Mm -hmm. Walton. We know that uh, Rob Walton has come to Denver, met with team officials, toured the facilities. Uh, He's in the financial milieu that you're speaking of here. Is he one of the favorites at this point?
4: I would say that Rob is the absolute favorite here, and 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 unless I think unless he's not serious about buying the team, I, I think it's going to be his. You're right. He is. We're talking already about obviously a very wealthy group of people. Rob is wealthy in a different way than every other NFL owner. He would be the richest NFL owner by I think a factor of three or four. If he were to join, he's worth sixty billion dollars last time I checked. All the other bidders that we're aware of are, are are worth in the in the five to eight range, just to give you a sense. Um so, yes, Rob is the favorite just because if he wants to pay, for this team. He has it. He can get it in cash. It's a very simple transaction for him. And as I mentioned, those are the deals the NFL likes. They like the idea of having one of the richest men in America. They know that if things go sour, if suddenly the team needs a little bit more money, a capital infusion, Rob certainly has the cash on hand to make that happen. Uh, The NFL prefers this to be one bidder as opposed to a group of 15 people who are each putting in $400 $400 million, there's a nice tidy aspect of it being Rob. So again, I think because of how much money he has and just how enticing it is to have a Walton officially on in the ownership ranks, I think if Rob wants this team and is willing to flex at least a little bit of his financial advantage to make it happen, I think Rob Walton will be the next owner of the of the Denver Broncos. But it's unclear exactly how serious he is right now.
0: Eben, when the Broncos officially came on the market, the NFL said it would love for the new owner to be a person of color. Uh, And there were several uh, on the radar. So Magic Johnson, part of a group of interested buyers led by Josh Harris, who also owns the Philadelphia 76ers. Again, Robert Smith, uh, who's black, though he has said he's not interested in bidding for the Broncos. Uh, And I think of Byron Allen, also African-American child actor, went on to host some game shows and reality TV, later created a large business uh, that includes ownership of the Weather Channel. Has the League given up on its kind of diversity wish?
4: I think the easy answer is no, has not given up on it. I, again, because of the conversation we were just having about highest qualified bidders, it's very hard for the NFL to have any real major say here. Again, if if Rob Walton wants to buy this team alone by himself for $6 billion, it's going to be very hard for the NFL to, 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 to not do that transaction. However, as you said, the league has made it very clear that they want to prioritize uh, minority owners. I would be shocked if anyone buys this team without having at least a few minority partners that are, uh, people of color or women or both. Uh, so, so my guess is the NFL is going to get at least some sort of, uh, some sort of new minority investment just by virtue of whatever deal this ends up with. That's, hmm. that's my understanding. But again, it's, it's very hard in a transaction like this to demand X or Y just because of the financial nature of how this trust is, is set up and how it will be sold.
0: I'm fascinated by these visits, by potential owners. You know, they they tour a locker room, they check out the field. What What is it that they're looking at? Exactly how are they kicking the tires in this thing?
4: I think there's two things. One, for the past two months, all of these bidders have, have gotten to go all the way through the finances of the Denver Broncos and the NFL. They are very familiar with the financial ins and outs of this asset. There's two things they've been doing in management meetings this month. One, they go and they get to meet executives at the team. They get a sense of who the people are. And two, they're touring the facility, they're getting a sense of what the real estate is around the stadium, what kind of opportunities might be there beyond just owning the Broncos. As as you probably know, professional sports ownership right now is all about platforms. Yes, it's an NFL team, Mm. but it can also be a real estate play. It can be a mixed-use development it can be a media thing. Everybody wants to have ancillary businesses that they can kind of spin off off of their teams. And real estate is one of the big ones. So I'm sure every group that was here was looking at the stadium, figuring out what would need to be done to it, how much money that might cost. Is there opportunity to acquire land, to get land around the stadium? Oh. Do there other businesses in there as well? There's a lot they want to see on the ground. So, so those are the two things. Meet the people who are running the team who might be your employees very shortly, and then two, get a sense of what the real estate opportunities are in and around the stadium so that if they do buy this team, they know what other revenue streams they can start
0: to bring in. The real estate uh, angle is fascinating. Thank you for opening my eyes to that. Before we go, could there be an upset? You know, there are fields uh, upsets on the field all the time, (laughs) but in this field... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, there
4: are at least five bidders that I know of that are or there are five groups that I know that have reached this next stage. I only know essentially who three of the five are. So there's two that have not yet become public, and I can tell you after covering at this point dozens of, of major franchise sales, there's always someone that you don't know about until the end, yeah. and and there's someone who wants to stay quiet has done a better job, maybe hired. Bankers or lawyers that are, are are not typically doing these deals, so they're not ones that reporters like myself know of all that well. There, there's a lot of possibilities, but yes, there's always towards the end of these sales a mystery bidder is, is the <laughs> term that always gets used. But I would not be shocked if, again, if, if Rob does not want to overpay for this team or isn't all that interested, I would not be shocked at all if the end uh, the person who ends up buying this team is either a name that we have not heard at all or a name of somebody who. Kind of didn't express a lot of interest, said he or she wasn't that interested in the past, but then maybe came in at the last minute. There's always a change here. So upsets happen on the field. They definitely happen off the field field. in team sales as well.
0: Reporter Eben Novi williams of the sports business site Sportico. He's covering the sale of the Denver Broncos, which is expected to wrap up before the start of the 2022 NFL season. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks to the home team at Colorado Matters. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel
2: Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher.
4: Matt Hers, Michael Hughes.
2: Carla Jimenez.
0: Pedro Lumbrano.
2: Patrice Mondragon.
0: Shane Rumsey. And I'm Ryan Warner with special thanks to our climate team. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Thank you.